0: text from today is from Daniel 2, 31 through 35. You saw, O King, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. After an illustrious career of being in World War II, and then doing what every most every uh, World War II vet did—you go home and you start farming—is what my grandfather did. So, after this. Illustrious career of being a World War II vet and farming. My grandfather continued this path of doing what every other outstate farmer does when you are no longer farming. Finally, you get to move into town and have the good life. So they pass, they purchased this massive Victorian house in this town of Morgan, Minnesota. I think it's maybe up to a thousand people now. And the house was just as you would have imagined that an old Victorian house would have been in an old Victorian town. It was leaky of windows in the upstairs bedrooms that you, as a young child, you're kind of afraid to go into. And you kind of look around, and there's, I think, probably 14 or 15 layers of wallpaper, you know, on the upstairs bedrooms. But through all of the grandeur of this house that August and Ramona moved into with all of their pride, there is this one perilous problem that began to show itself. The foundation started bowing. Then it started cracking. And then in the basement, it broke apart and started sliding into the basement. So as a kid, you were told, don't go down into the basement. You never know when this thing could just give way. So if you're on the main floor, you're probably fine. If you're on the top, you're going to fall down and you'll be okay. But don't go in the basement. You don't know when this thing is going to go. And this is the epitome of American culture in so many of our lives. It looks good on the outside, yeah, that's great, but the inside, the foundation, is just trash. So this one house, this little predicament, though, is not even a picture of American culture or so many of our lives. All of history, all of history. Is wrapped up in this one little house with its little precarious foundation that is crumbling and crumbling below it. So in our text you will see here all of history wrapped up into this little vision, this little dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And you will see what it is like to have it not built upon Christ. What's gonna happen? It's gonna crumble, it's gonna fall, it's gonna be blown away and it's gonna be completely forgotten. Blown away into obscurity. So what I'm hoping you bring away from this is that Christ in Christ alone is the rock. Christ in Christ alone is the foundation of all things. Alright, so where are we going to see that here? In verses 31 and 32 and 33, we're going to see about these crumbling kingdoms. All of their grandeur, all of their, their stature that they're holding themselves up before you with, What's the end of them? Sure, they look great they, they're, and they look glorious. But what's the end of them? What becomes of them? So you see these crumbling kingdoms. And then in verses 34 and 35, what are we going to see? Well, we're going to see this eternal kingdom coming. And how it is built and rooted in Christ. Being thrown out there by this divine hand of God Himself. So that is where we are at. So let's see here how all of our lives can be built upon Christ. Every aspect of our life. No, no little bit of vulnerability that might be blown away, that might crumble under the weight of God Himself. So a little bit of context as we're going through it. We've spent quite a bit of time, well, in the Old Testament here, you will spend quite a bit of time going through the prophets. You guys know the story well. The people of God are redeemed and they're brought into the land. God plunks them down there, but then they begin to turn their faces away from God and so God gives them what they want. So if you want to go away? You will go, you will go away and they will be sent away. The ten northern tribes get carried off into Assyria and are lost forever. And the Syrian empire begins to crumble and the Babylonians begin to rise and they move in. And then 597, they take all of the young men and carry them off. All of the young men, promising young men and women here. In, in chapter 1, if you want to t- turn back a page, you can see what's happening here. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to come bring some of the people of Israel Both of the royal family and the nobility of the youths without blemish, of good appearance, of skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and then at the end of the time they were to stand before the king. So what's happening here? What's what's going on? So as a Babylonian, if, the, if you have an empire and you want to rule over these people, what do you do? Well, you skim the cream off the top. You bring them into your place. You educate them not in their ways, but in your ways. And you teach them the Babylonian way to think, the Babylonian way to see the, the world. And then you feed them as well. It's like the, the Babylonian Department of Education. They bring them up and teach them how to think and what to think. And then you can take these same people, leave some of them to be before you as a king, and then send the rest of them back to rule over the, their people, but with your thoughts and with your agenda. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So this young Daniel, this young man is, is carried off he's promising he's got a career ahead of him in jerusalem and he's carried off and he's sent to go serve i hope you get this he's sent to go serve them and to be under directly under the king who's sending his army to go kill your family to go destroy the houses in your neighborhood and he goes through daniel lives a long life he makes it through the babylonian captivity and we find him here later he's before king darius this Medo persian empire this king so he's when he, he's going and being cast into this lion's den later on he's probably in his early 80s when this is happening He has this long career. He's a contemporary of of Jeremiah as he sees the weeping of everything that's going on within this city. He's He's in exile with Ezekiel. And then he's also there when Cyrus is sending off this first wave of Jews with Zerubbabel to go back to Jerusalem. So before we go to our text briefly, what do we see here in this life of Daniel? It's not so much how can we be like Daniel. I hope that's clear. Well, we're not saying how can we be like Daniel, but rather, what do we see in Daniel's life that is pointing us towards Christ in His beauty? Steward your sufferings well, brothers and sisters. Steward your sufferings well and your hardships well. You see with Christ that He also did not suffer in vain. But His suffering led to the atonement for the sins of His people throughout history and around the world. So brothers and sisters, steward your sufferings well and your hardships well as you go through this spiritual exile here. So it's a little bit about Daniel. Now let's focus in on the text here. Let's go back and just read verses 31, and 32, and 33. You saw, O King, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceedingly, an exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, and its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and feet. Partially of iron, and partially of of clay. So this mighty king who reigned over the known world is troubled by this dream. And he couldn't sleep. And So he wants to get someone to interpret it for you. And so you don't get to be a king and rule the world by being a fool, usually. So what you do is you bring all of the wise men the sorcerers the magicians and he kind of has a, he catches them right you don't just tell him the dream and say hey what does this mean they could tell you anything and you can't prove them wrong so he tells them come on in come on in i'm not going to tell you the dream i want you to tell me my dream that's a predicament is it Now imagine if Martin Luther King stands up before the reflecting pool in the late 60s and he says, I have a dream, and I want you to tell me what it is. The people would have left completely confused. So that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's bringing them all in and he's telling them, I'm going to kill you if you don't tell me what it is. I'm done with you guys. Because you obviously you're frauds and charlatans if you can't tell me my dream. And so in verse fourteen, Ariok, the commander of the chief guard, he's he's on his way to go out and, and kill them all, right? Of whom Daniel is one. It's the way of the world you eat with the king one day, he kills you the next. Don't make a dream, just to eat with the king. Verse twenty four. Then Daniel here, he goes to Arioch and, and he tells him, Daniel goes to Arioch, don't kill the wise men of Babylon, of, of which I, by, you know, uh, full disclosure, I'm one of them. Don't kill them all. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream. I will interpret the dream for him. So then here in verse 25, is is great. Verse 25, Ariok, he's like every other government official. Daniel came to him, and then Ariok goes to the king and says, Hey, I found Daniel here. He can interpret your dream. And he takes all the credit for it. And then Daniel goes before the king, and the king says, Well, can you do this? And he says, No, no, I can't. Awkward pause, angry king. No, I can't, but God can. And he tells him this dream. And admittedly, it's a dream, right? It's obscure. You read it, and you're like Nebuchadnezzar, and you go, what in the world is going on here? So what do we see? Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. That was children of the Word, eating the Word, reading the Word. When you see that, Image. You, your mind should be swept away right to Genesis 1. You know, and, and it's actually the same word, And uh, yeah, where God says, let us make a man in our image after our likeness. And so what you have here is an imaging of the kingdoms of the world. As though you could say all of human history is summed up in this dream itself. So you see how this this image appears. What is it? Well, it's, it's mighty, right? It's exceedingly bright. It seems to have its own glory that it's putting out there, doesn't it? And for a time, it's quite strong. It's not being propped up. No, it's standing on its own. So you can see all of its beauty, all of its glory emanating out of its statue, all of its strength as it's just standing there on its own. And of course, well, what do you say? Well, the end of verse 31. Well, this is frightening. And you see here, couple this with, uh, I think Daniel chapter 7, and you kind of get this a little interpretation of what's going on here. Later on in verse 37, also in this chapter, he says, The God of heaven has given you dominion, Nebuchadnezzar, and power and glory. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And after you, another kingdom will rise. Okay, so these are different kingdoms that are running then in sequential order, is what you would, is what you would presume. So then you have the Babylonians with this head of gold, and then the Medo and the Persian Empire comes up them, after them, this King Cyrus. It has this chest in arms of silver. Then the middle and the thighs of bronze would then be the Greeks, who were the first then to rule over the whole earth. And you have the iron of the Roman Empire that comes and smashes everything. And then these feet of clay and iron. I mean, you could take your pick, right? You know, they could be the divided kingdoms or you read different things and they'll come up with anything that you want them to tell them, Basically. So the, perf- the 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 importance, though, is not that you fit this kingdom into that and make it all line up. But just you'll be able to step back and know, oh, all of these kingdoms, all of the kingdoms of the world, are represented here: the Ottoman Empire, the Ming Dynasty, the English Empire, are all summed up in this statue. Now, why is it so glorious? Ask yourself that. Why is it so glorious? What's so enthralling about this? That you're going to gather every wise man, every magician, bring him in to interpret. What's so glorious about this statue? What's so glorious about these nations and the things of this world? Again, brothers and sisters, think biblically what is happening here. When we look at the world around us, think biblically. What do the nations offer us? Why do they enthrall us? Why do they call us like sirens out to go and follow them? They fulfill your, they're, they're preaching a gospel to you is what they're doing. They're preaching a gospel to you in which they say, we will fulfill all of your innate desires. Through them, through us, they say your name will be great. You'll be known. People will know you and you'll have followers. The nations will tell you that after a long time, you will have children. You will have descendants. Maybe your, your family or your children, they will be great. And you are going to be remembered long after you're done. Look at philosophers that are held up as gods. Even though they're dead and they did nothing to resurrect themselves. They're held up as, as gods. And they still have their disciples today. So if you do what we want, the nations will tell you. You will be a blessing to the world. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So what are the nations promising you? Do you see it? It's just this watered down version of the Abrahamic covenant. Where God comes to Abraham and God says, no, no, I will be the one to make you a great nation. I will be the one to bless you and to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this lie, this self-perpetuating lie is so easy to believe because we strive to be remembered. We want to be known. We want the world to be blessed through us. And what the nations are calling you to do is the same thing that Adam was preaching on with the law of last week. The nations are calling you to realize through the blessings of God, through them and apart from Christ. Do you see this? That's why we fall for it over and over and again. As brothers and sisters, who are made to delight in Christ. The nations come and say, "Ah, look at this fruit. It's beautiful. Take it. That's kind of what I want, but... And then same thing over here in, with the law. They said, would well, just, just live this way. You're righteous. You can do it. You don't need grace. But you're telling me you're not good enough? No, you don't need grace. Just fulfill the law. You can do it. And so this is how the law and then the nations will come with their gospel and steer you away from your, and take advantage of your innate desires of being made in the image of God to delight in God and God alone. And so here comes Christ. Christ on to the scene here. Let's go back to the text. In verse, uh, let's, 34. As you looked, a stone was cut. Out by no human hand and it struck the image on the feet of the iron and the clay and it broke them into pieces and then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace, not a trace of them could be found. But, but that stone But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now here, against the backdrop of all of these glorious and beautiful metals of silver and gold and bronze, against all of these comes a rock. A rock. And you see here, it was it was it was not cut out. It was not portioned by any human hand or human agency, but it was divinely cut and divinely thrust against this against this statue. And if it just ended there, well, our presumption is that it would kind of clunk into the side of the statue, maybe hit it in the feet, and then just stand there in great deference to the glory of these nations. But the rock comes and it crushes everything that it is in opposition to it. Everything that is opposed to the rock, everything that is opposed then to Christ is shattered. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there is no way that the idols of the world, that the nations of this world can cohabitate with Christ in the same way in our own hearts and in our own desires. There is no room for idolatry. So don't be surprised as you turn to Christ. As Christ works in you, He painfully shatters every idol and dream of this world and rips it out of your hand so that you might have Him and abound in His grace. So when these kingdoms then, then this rock comes and hits them and shatters them, they're not just cracked, they don't just kind of fall into smaller stones. You know, what happens here? They're not dismantled so as to have any dignity left whatsoever, they become like fine chaff. And it doesn't even just settle there, what happens is that they, these nations that presume on their own strength are just blown away by the wind. The wind. Not a storm, not anything like that. Just a nice gentle breeze is able to to carry them away and to show them for what they truly are. And all of man's glory, all of our glory, is as worthless as chaff. Just blown away. Brothers and sisters, it should be abundantly clear that this rock is nothing less than Christ Himself; that He is the one upon whom all things are built. Now, look the contrast between what the world will offer you and tell you, and how great they are in their nations. All of this it comes with all of their fine metals. He comes with this stone. You begin to think of Isaiah. When he says that he had no form or majesty that we should look upon him, no beauty that we should desire him and this then this glorious statue then which looks so amazing and so enthralling, is replaced by nothing less than a mountain that's unshakable, unmovable, unless God himself shakes it and moves it and then this this statue, which was so amazing, is now. Well, it's temporal. It's already been blown away by the wind. The wind. By nothing, it's blown away. But this mountain then will endure forever. And this one statue that's just in one place and is blown off then is now replaced by a mountain that covers and grows to encompass the whole world of the increase of his government and peace. We see in Isaiah, there shall be no end. Isaiah also writes that He will become a sanctuary. Not just a sanctuary, a place, a cloth, a cleft in the rock for us to hide. Not just a sanctuary for us, which is Christ, and all of our hardships that we run to Him. But this stone, for those who love this statue that was blown away, becomes a rock of offense. and A stone of stumbling. And so they reject this stone. You see it, you see it's a mountain growing, but what do you do? Well then you reject it. And so Peter writes, or Luke records Peter saying that Jesus, whom you crucified, is the stone that was rejected by you. You rejected him. He came you were enthralled with the nations, and you came and you rejected Him, and you saw growing into a mountain. You saw Him raised from the dead. Well, no, you rejected Him. Well, this stone has become the chief cornerstone of all things. So then, Paul would write, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the local church, us, you guys, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, all that you have is to be rooted in Christ and to build upon Christ. And everything else will be blown away. And everything else is like sand, like Nick was just teaching about. Everything else is going to be sand that will crumble, and you try to build upon it, build upon it, and it will wash away. Build your lives upon the rock. So what do we do? Just see that there is nothing Nothing outside of the dominion of Christ. No relationship. No career aspiration or desires. Build your whole house upon Christ and you know it will stand fast. The winds can come and blow. It will last. It will last forever. So, number one, build your life entirely upon Christ. Number two, don't eat the fruit. The nations look glorious. They look engaging. They call to You to shipwreck Your faith. They call to You to turn back to drugs, to turn back to addiction, to turn back to Your deepest desires that were not given to You by God. Kingdom after kingdom. Let's not be so naive. These kingdom after kingdom that rises and fall and they sing songs of their own glory. And they rejoice in themselves. And they rejoice beyond themselves. And they're tempted to have these blessings of God, but to have them apart from Christ. This same story is playing in your heart and in your life right now. Don't eat the fruit. So build everything upon Christ. Don't be enthralled with the nations. Don't eat the fruit. It's the same story, different scene. Number three, know the difference between being charmed and being changed. Nebuchadnezzar hears Daniel tell him his own dream. And then he interprets the dream for him. And Well, he says, you're the head of gold, of course, so Nebuchadnezzar quite like that. But then he bows down. And what does he say? He says this, he said, surely your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. And he promoted Daniel. He bows down and he worships. He says, your God is God. What do you see? Verse 1, next chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is like so many so many people, they are charmed by the things of the faith. They come to church maybe. Maybe this is you. You come to church and you like, you like the, ascend, the idea of some sense of transcendency or religiosity. Or you just want a place where your kids can be around maybe other good kids that are maybe brought up a little bit differently than in the world. And you're completely charmed by the things of God. But you're not yet changed at all as one pastor says. You love the worship music, and it gets you and it charms you. But don't leave here without being changed. We're just saying it. The fowl I to the fountain Fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Don't stand back and just see everything that happens amongst these religious people and not engage. Desperately come to God right now with all of your heart and say, God, I don't want to be charmed anymore. I don't care for that. I can be charmed by the nations. I don't want to be charmed by religious people or the church. I want to be changed by you and by the movement of your spirit. So don't leave here unless you are changed By our almighty God. Let us pray. Let us pray to that end. Heavenly Father. You are the revealer and giver of all knowledge and wisdom. How arrogant of us. To presume upon ourselves. How easy it is for us to want to worship You on Sunday, but then dabble in the nations and in the kings and get our own recognition and our own glory there and then think we can come to You. God, how many of us and how many of our dreams will be shattered and blown away just by a gentle breeze, God. Take them from us now, God. Graciously remove them by the work of Your Spirit so that they won't be ripped out of our hands begrudgingly, God. And let us so humbly and so joyfully build our lives upon Your Son. We want everything to be built upon Him. We want this church to be built upon Him, God. And as we come now, and partake of the efficacious work of your son through the Lord's Supper, God, let us build all of our faith upon him and him alone. Amen. Amen.